Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. For Contrarians Quarter. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Episode number seventy-nine. As we continue on our award season story arc, we did just conclude this year's um, installment of the Academy Awards this past Sunday. Uh, I knew very little going in, and I feel like I know even less coming out of it. So, uh, well, you know what the best movie of twenty eighteen is. Apparently, apparently, it's Green Book. Uh, the same guy who directed Dumb and Dumber now has. Didn't it also win Best Screenplay? Best Screenplay, uh, Best Supporting Actor. And Best Picture. And Best Picture. My God. But again, I was kind of unfamiliar with a lot of the nominees and categories. Not categories, but nominees and uh, winners was the phrase I'm looking for there. So it's good to be here to take us back to something I do know a little bit about. And that would be the... uh, Royalty. Royalty, exactly. The 2011 winner for Best Picture, uh, The King's Speech. Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush making their quick return. It was a quick turnaround for them, back to the Contrarians, um, and also back to with a fresh film. I don't know how many Colin Firth movies you're going to find with a rotten rating. You probably have to look hard, but when you find one, I'm sure it's a delight. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, so here today we are going to find our voice as we discuss the King's Speech. Uh, and again, if this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, number one, we do appreciate it. Uh, and number two, uh, what we do here is, we, as we like to say, Rage Against the Rotten Tomatoes Machine. So we take a movie that is fresh, make a case for why it could be rotten and vice versa, uh, being that King's Speech is at a very commanding 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the first portion of this podcast here will be us making a case for why it's rotten. 
Uh, if you want to know how we really feel, hang around to the second half of that uh, of the podcast. That is which uh, is fittingly referred to as real talk. Yeah, that's when we'll talk about how Tom Hooper found his voice. But but here <laughs> he found something. We're, we're just gonna argue against that ninety four percent. Found something he was pining for. Uh, so going into this, Julio, what were your memories of the King's Speech? Um, I saw it in theaters. Did you watch it in theaters? Yeah, I think um, this would have been one of those movies that uh, I watched from the projection deck, just like in bits and pieces, and put it together. This is, I think, I'm near positive this was my first time watching the the entire way through. You just like walk away whenever he was gonna give a speech. Come back. Didn't want to. Yeah, I would leave and then I would come back and everyone was cheering. I'm like, what the fuck did I miss? Um. Yeah. I I, I watched it before it was an Oscar winner. Much like, I mean, this is more real talk than anything, but just I guess kind of like to set the mood. I I think that uh, you know, much like with Green Book or uh, Shakespeare in Love, those are movies that I watched before they were acclaimed by by the Academy. I just watched them as a regular person, like me with Juno. Yes. Yeah. And so, I took them at face value, and then the Academy names them best picture of the year, and then I am forced <laughs> to to, take, to scrutinize them and to, to take them to task. And uh, and now we have a podcast, so I have to even like, do it even more harshly. With, yeah, you got to turn it up. I have the duty now to really take this apart and and be like. But is it rotten? <laughs> well, we'll find out. Uh, but uh, let me let me read you from some people that are are all on the fresh train. Um, a few quotes from the Run Tomatoes website started from Sean P. Means from the Salt Lake Tribune, who says the King's Speech is the kind of history lesson you wish you had gotten in school—an inspiring private story behind a public person that layers high-minded ideals and occasionally low-brow humor. Where was the low-brow humor? Uh, oh, I think you walked away uh, to let the dog out when uh, he went, fuck, fuckity, fuck, bugger, bugger, shit, tits. Okay. Ha, 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 ha. Rated R Need the, for language. the boisterous American laugh. Ha, 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 Lou Luminick from New York Post says, The King's Speech is a rare work of art that's also an immense crowd pleaser. Okay. Please crowds. Academy crowds. Uh, Jonathan Kiefer from Sacramento News and Review says, call it a glossy, inspirational inversion of Pygmalion or a sports flick for those who prefer royals to athletes. But there's no denying the universal appeal of director Tom Hooper's tastefully wrapped package. <laughs> Jesus. I just included this one because I love that they talk about Hooper's package. That's why he was banned from the Oscars because he <laughs> rolled up with a tastefully wrapped package. Bacon wrap package. That's how Hooper rolls. Jesus. Finally, Donald Clark from the Irish Times says, Travel without prejudice and you will enjoy a moving, impeccably acted, and surprisingly funny slice of comfort food. There are worse ways of starting an unpromising looking year. What? Hmm? So he's talking about what? 2019? No, 2019. 2011? <laughs> 2016? 2011. <laughs> 2016? He was looking ahead. Oh, okay. From the re-release gotcha. right before the elections, uh, I I don't know what is he talking about. What was so bad? Is he talking about movie wise? Is he talking about world wise? I guess I don't know. I'm trying to think of what would have been going on in the world at that point. Movie wise, things were all right. They were a hell of a lot better than they are right now. Uh, we'll go through that in the second portion of the podcast. The movies that it was up against that year, but it wasn't. 
It wasn't Slim Pickens that year. We had a lot going on. I told you the director category was uh, Hooper, uh, Aronofsky, O'Russell, Fitcher, and the Coen brothers. So it, it, that year was not bleak by any stretch. Okay, Donald Clark, if you're listening, first, are you okay? <laughs> Did you make it through this unpromising year you were referring to? Well, with the fucking color tones and fucking palettes of this movie, I don't. I can heavily understand why he was depressed following it. I mean, didn't he realize that World War II was behind us? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, Mr. Clark, he, he, I would like some answers. He didn't learn about it in school, so he thought Hitler was on the horizon <laughs> after watching this. Uh, okay, so taking us back to 2010 for the film, even way farther back to the 1930s for the um, movie at hand, the story here. Colin Firth, our main character. In a land far, far away. <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. King George the Sixth. So as I am... Um, prone to do on occasion i'm going to visit our dear good friend wikipedia here to kind of just give us a, a summation of what kicks us off here what's causing all this uh at the official closing of the british empire exhibition at wembley stadium prince albert duke of york the second son of king george v addresses the crowd with a strong stammer his search for treatment has been discouraging but his wife elizabeth played by helen bottom carter persuades him to see an Australian-born Lionel Logue, Jeffrey Rush, a non-medically trained Harley Street speech defect therapist. Bertie, as he is called by his family, believes the first session is not going well, but Lionel, who insists that all his patients address him as such, has the potential client recite Hamlet's to be or not to be soliloquy while hearing classical music played on a pair of headphones. Bertie is frustrated at the experiment, but Lionel gives him the recording that was made of the reading as a souvenir. So, obviously, that goes over a lot of the introduction of this movie, but it, what it does is it leads you to understand what's going on. Two, who our main three characters are. Would you say that... I mean, we got uh, we have a real star later in the film, but he's only there for a little bit, so I think this kind of sets the ground for what we're looking at. Yeah, and really... I don't know that to call Helena Bonham Carter wonderful as she is, uh, a third co-star here that doesn't really. Yeah, I think Hooper that misrepresents just, how much she is in the movie. Because Hooper just threw her in there to say that a woman was in his movie. Yeah, it's just like what's this? The Bechdel test? Okay, just throw her in. Uh, so Colin Firth is obviously a grown man with a stammer. Uh, Julia and I talked about this while we were watching the movie about knowing people with a stammer and what comes along with that. Um, all I could think of was Colin Firth. Yeah. I mean, after this, it's his, uh, almost shtick that he approaches his role with is definitely, uh, memorable. He tried to, uh, stammer and Shakespeare in love, but they wouldn't let him. His goatee was in the way. He couldn't. He couldn't pull it off. They told him goatee or stammer, but <laughs> can't do both. So, are we trying to paint Colin Firth as a sad sack here? Because he still he has a lot of money and comes from royalty. I cannot get a read of how we, as the audience, are supposed to approach his character. Well, this is how. Uh, this is why I find movies about royalty frustrating. I just can't wrap my head around the way British people live. Mm -hmm. And I know we have plenty of British listeners. This is not meant to, to offend you. But rather <laughs> to just give you an insight into the mind of somebody who lives in America, who's lived in America for a while now. And just it's just so different over here. Because this entire movie is about the British Empire kind of like twisting itself around to to force people who don't want to be in power in power. <laughs> 
<laughs> it doesn't matter if they're the best qualified for the job or anything. Uh, it's like a hot potato. Yeah, it's not even at some point. Colin Firth goes, I don't even have the power to do anything. Why why is it so important that I deliver a speech? I have zero power. The prime minister has more power than I do. And yet I'm supposed to be here as a symbol. The entire movie is about him, one, not wanting to be king, Mm -hmm. uh, not wanting to do public speaking because of his his stammer. Uh, Could have called this movie the I don't want to do it. (laughs) I was thinking the guy who didn't want to be king's speech. it, at first, he's fine because uh, his brother, uh, by that played by that star that we're not going to mention yes, yet, Dave. Dave, uh, he he is in line for to be king, but then he also doesn't want to be king. And I don't think he doesn't want to be. I think he just likes. The, he has different priorities. Yeah. Bottom line is nobody wants to. be By king. the definition of the '30s, he likes the loose women. <laughs> um, nobody wants to be king in this movie, and. One, I guess, as as an, as somebody who lives in America, I wouldn't America, want to have been in any position of power either when World War II is on the precipice. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, right? They, it all seems a little silly because you get to the end and you're like, oh, you know what? The world was having real problems, mm-hmm. and you guys were trying to uh, figure out who was going to sit in the pretty chair. Meanwhile, I, Hitler was the title up card at the end that says Jeffrey Rush was drafted to World War II, <laughs> <laughs> died on the front line. Birdie. <laughs> um, but again, as 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 somebody who's lived in America for a while now, mm-hmm. I can't even fathom the idea of any sort of member of Congress or a presidential hopeful that would have this sort of problem, the, the kind of issues that they're having here in in court, right? I, That's I, exactly. Yeah, we have the exact opposite right now. There exactly. are too many Democrats that want to be president. Do you? I mean, you would think, of course. We're talking about the year 2019, yeah, and and I would say, well, what does it matter if our president's stammering? Nobody cares. He's just tweeting, right? Yeah. But even if, if, let's say, Twitter was not available, I'm sure Trump or Clinton or Bush or Obama or whoever, they would just grab somebody to speak for them. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm the president who stammers, so of course I'm going to put somebody to speak for me. And America would be like, all right, yeah, let's make a few memes about it, but it's not going to crumble the empire. Yet here in this movie, God forbid Colin Firth has a speech impediment because that will just sink England as we know it. That Yeah, at the end, they act like the hopes of them su- surviving the war ride on his ability to speak. I mean, it's 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 so long ago. Just put somebody else to speak for him. <laughs> they they mean, wouldn't get, know. Yeah, it's the radio. Like, right. Just have Jeffrey Rush do it. Have him put in his British accent, switch mm-hmm. it up from the Aussie accent, and you you got it. I mean, he is kind of a frustrated actor in that movie, so... He'd just be like the leader from The Simpsons. All you see is his hand come out the, the window and just hear him on the radio. Yeah, I really... He needed better PR, a better PR agent in this movie. So it's somebody who would be like, you know, what you think is your flaw needs to be turned into an asset. Mm-hmm. You shall be the king who does not speak. Yes. Mystery, baby. That's what people like. Uh, so we did mention that Firth plays King George the Sixth, His father, of course, Big Daddy George the Fifth. Played uh, by not Ian McKellen, as uh, no, I thought. Yeah, Julio thought it was Ian McKellen and a bunch of prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> Michael G- uh, Gambon. Dumbledore. D- oh, yeah. I'd, I've never seen a Harry Potter movie, so. Uh, I have, and I still thought it was Ian McKellen. <laughs> Wait, isn't Dumbledore the one with like the, the hair and the big beard and everything? Yes, and also he technically, not technically, I mean, really, he's been played by two actors. Uh, 
somebody played him in the first two movies and then he died and then somebody else played him. I don't remember which one is Michael Gambon. So he's not Emma Watson. No. Okay. And he is not, uh, I was going to say Wesley. Alan Rickman? Ron Wesley. Oh. <laughs> Whatever that guy's name is. 1934, King George sends out a royal Christmas message and essentially is explaining to Colin Firth that uh, the airwaves and the radio is going to be like a huge wave of the future, and this is how you're going to be in touch with everyone, get into the homes of the masses, obviously just compounding pressure and uh, uncomfortableness and tension onto his stammer. How could anybody not notice that the more you worry him, the more you stress him out, the more he stammers? Mm-hmm. I watched the movie for 10 minutes, and I already figured that out. At one point, I think uh, George, it might have been right here, where he's like, Say it, boy. Like he just tells him. That will help. Yeah, exactly. Standing behind. It's like uh, someone that's stressed out at work when you just stand right behind their shoulder and watch what they do. That's going to help. Uh, when you're uh, when you're trying to pee for a, for a pee sample, you have the doctor looking over your shoulder. I've never had that problem. I can just let it rip anytime I need to. So It's like that in sleep. People, you, you are the guy making the doctor uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm just Could like... you please look? <laughs> I can keep going. Um yeah. Where are we here? We're not yet to A Star is Born. Um, so, George VI, stressed out by all this, the impending stress of his life, he kind of goes home and has himself a pity party. I can't remember if he was drinking the pain away, but... He was smoking. He was definitely smoking, which yeah. I was thinking... Which Jeffrey Rush establishes uh, from the bat, like... Because the opening scene, we see some quack doctor telling him, you know, you got to smoke to open up the lungs and you got to talk with marbles in your mouth. And he tries to smoke, light up in front of Jeffrey Rush and he's like, nah, none of that shit in my place. Also, cancer. Yeah, he calls it too. Because <laughs> didn't <laughs> King George want... the Sixth actually die of lung cancer? Oh, did he? I, I don't think know. so, yeah. Your British history knowledge dwarfs mine. Yes, I know about that and Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks. That's what I, that's my British knowledge. Also, you watch The Queen, probably. Mm, I own The Iron Lady. It was one of those screeners I was sent that I've never watched. So, Anyway. Dame Streep. Mm, uh, he's having himself a bit of a, a pity party. Uh, so we circle back to the whole point of this is we circle back to what I mentioned in the, the paragraph, the summation from Wikipedia, talking about the recording he took home from his... Um, first counseling session with Lionel. So he puts it on and starts listening to it. And he hears that he can speak perfectly. It's magic. And then Ethan Embry's walking by with his radio headset and it turns it and he hears it on that. And, uh, (laughs) Steve Zahn's car screeches up in front and they run in and they're dancing around (laughs) his washing machine while his singles on the radio. Steve Zahn ends up kissing Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. And they're too occupied to care about it. Um, That's really is, all I could think of when I was watching that. I mean, I, I think that this movie is made in bad faith to begin with. It's if if you think about it, almost we didn't plan it, but we've done two best movie Oscar winners that basically make fun of England, right? Shakespeare in Love was all about taking down Shakespeare in a very disrespectful way, mm-hmm. and this is about just making fun of royalty and. Trivializing it. Trivializing it. And really, it's it's the story of this con man that just got to pal around with, with Colin Firth, with the king, and it just make him do whatever he wanted uh, as a pretense uh, that, that it was therapy, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
look at the mind games that that uh, Jeffrey Rush plays with Colin Firth. He makes that recording. He knows that in that recording, Colin Firth speaks without stammering. Doesn't tell him. He could easily have played that back to him right away, and they would have saved us 15 minutes of movie at least, right? Because <laughs> Colin Firth would have been like, okay, I'll start treatment right now. But instead, just to fuck with him, he lets him he lets him go, thinking that he's still that that, that was a, a disaster. He doesn't even tell Helena Bonham Carter, hey, make sure he listens to that when he gets home. Yeah. He waits until he has that meeting with his dad and gets humiliated and everything. Why? And then when he comes back to him, he says, what took you so long? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, Did you listen to that record? <laughs> so he does employ him as his um, speech therapist, counselor, what have you, whatever word you want to label you want to put on it. Um, She's not doctor. No, definitely can't label it that. But then we get like an honest to God montage of them, like of him teaching him all the tricks of the trade of how to say these words and then interspersed with him using them in real time. He's doing like a speech at a fucking Ford plant somewhere. And he's, yeah, these cars are He's promising that he's getting those jobs back. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, you haven't really lived until you've seen Colin Firth in a montage of him dancing around and flailing his limbs. But... That's what I'm talking about. This is Jeffrey it, Rush. Just... It is way out of uh, place. Like, right. Tonally, and, it's not consistent at all. I, I guess that's what I was going to say earlier. One, I don't buy it. I don't believe for a second that this happened in real life. I've seen this movie before. It was called Goodwill Hunting. Is Jeffrey Rush playing the, the quirky, no-nonsense doctor, and, and he has to treat the, the uptight, uh, prone-to-anger patient, right? But Colin Firth is now Matt Damon, and, and Jeffrey Rush, wonderful as he is, He's not Robin Williams. I was going to say, I've seen this before, and it's called Fight Club. But then it turned out Jeffrey Rush was real. (laughs) Uh, Well, the problem here is that the setting also doesn't work. Because I can believe that a doctor or a so-called doctor, a therapist, could fuck with this patient this way in America. Even if it was the president. Because Mm -hmm. we're kind of a joke, right? But in in England, like you don't mess with the king. You get beheaded for doing this kind of stuff. Uh, he's having Colin Firth roll around the floor and it just uh, uh, have uh, Helena Bonham Carter sit on his stomach while he's breathing and he has him dance and sing. It, it yeah, just... jumping ahead, he's not a – I mean, jumping ahead to like the twist at the end, uh, we find out he's not a licensed practitioner or doctor has ever really treated anybody. No kidding. And the best part about it is it only takes uh, Colin Firth's people like – 20 minutes to find this out like they find out he's seeing him and then they come back you know 15 minutes later it's like here's your coffee by the way this dude's not like legit he lied to you and i all i could think of is we asked bill on the street and he told us (laughs) it was you know it's a lesson that america learned uh back in the sarah palin days which is like you need to veto people you can't just like put them in the spotlight and then figure out uh Colin Firth goes, I vouch for you. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, look, it's McCain. <laughs> uh, so really, but you know, it happens here in America too. So you really shouldn't be making fun of England for, for the fact that that happened. Uh, it, no, it, you should be making fun of King George VI for being so <laughs> daft. In the end, though, I'm surprised they didn't do some, because clearly by this, Tom Hooper doesn't really care about women. So I, I was curious why there wasn't a scene where uh, Colin Firth blamed Helen Bonham Carter for it. It's like, you told me to go to this. You see what happened? Alex, that would have required Helen Bonham Carter to have more scenes. Yes. In that that was not the Any objective dialogue here. Yeah. Other than, oh, oh dear, oh my. 
I guess you could have had uh, just Firth looking at the Archdeacon and going, women, <laughs> she found him. Get over here, lady. In my notes, I have finally a star. Guy Pierce appears. A wild Guy Pierce appears. Uh, and man, he he was getting paid by the hour here. Uh, not getting paid by the hour, excuse me. As he shows up, he is the fun-loving older brother of Colin Firth. Uh, that stammer has aged Firth by at least 15 years over Guy Pierce in this. Well, Guy Pierce is obviously the fun brother. Mm-hmm. He's the cool guy, so that also helps he, with he staying fucking, young. like, flies himself there. He lands in his little fucking Buddy Holly plane and gets out and it's like, hey, I'm here. Um, his story, though, is pretty quickly established. He He has it in for this American woman who's been divorced, is getting divorced. And the royal family can't acknowledge divorce because the God the forbid that yeah God forbid that the king marries uh, a twice divorcee. Can you imagine if we held our precedence to that kind of standard? <laughs> well, and also like that was the big heartbreak at the end of Shakespeare in Love, and I'm trying to see here. Yeah, Shakespeare in Love was based in the early 1600s, and were you know several centuries later and it's still uh it's like you haven't learned england no it doesn't matter let love be they should have had some shot of like gwyneth paltrow being like (laughs) still (laughs) yeah or trust me i know but guy pierce is the eldest son so naturally he's going to inherit the throne because king george v is on his deathbed uh but he doesn't really seem to want it they talk about it and he's like yeah okay um, and then his dad eats it and like, we get this horrifying visual of what's the homeboy's name, Michael Gambon, uh, Gambon just laying in bed after he died. That thing though, where his eyes are like wide open, staring off into nothingness. It's, it's pretty terrifying. And you're it, like, please somebody close those eyes. Mm-hmm. It takes forever. It takes more than when, uh, when Colin Firth is giving a speech and he gets one of those pauses. None of those pauses are as long as this silent shot of Michael Gambon just staring into the distance dead. Uh, so the news hits Guy Pierce that his father's gone, and but he's the king now, and he like breaks down crying. But you can tell he doesn't really care that his dad's dead. He just doesn't want to be king. Like, well, the party ended here. He was singing, "I just can't wait to not be king." <laughs> <laughs> what does Guy Pierce do? He takes over. He's dating the divorcee. We have that during all this. We also get reminded from time to time because we get, you know, cutaways to Lionel and um, Bertie in their sessions. And they're kind of becoming friends over time uh, to the point where Bertie takes him in as kind of a confidant and starts explaining to him the issues with Dave and why he thinks it's not going to work out. And then Lionel suggests, you know, you'd be fit to be king. And then Bertie just gets mad at him for, like, having the temerity to make this notion. That's treason. Yeah, that's right. He tells him he's treasonous. Jesus, like, that is treason? I just, I'm <laughs> bummed he didn't just, like, slap him. And then Jeffrey Rush would just be like, fuck you. I mean, this movie, all it was missing was a Jeffrey Rush, Colin Firth fight to just take it over the top into, just like, rolling in the mud. Benny Hill slapstick comedy. Uh, they do have a couple of musical numbers though, which is, I mean, truncated, but still, because one of a uh, one of the therapy uh, techniques is to have him sing stuff when he's stammering, because mm-hmm. I guess when he sings, he doesn't stammer, and so he's in the middle of recounting a horrible uh, story from his childhood about his nanny 
not feeding him, but he can't keep going. And so Rush goes like, sing it. Yeah. And Firth goes, she didn't feed me. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> and it was at this moment that Tom Hooper was planting the seeds for his Les Mis. <laughs> yes. Like, who needs, uh, oh, fuck, what do you call it? Playback. Russell Crowe? No. <laughs> yeah. Who needs playback? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we get sing, you know, several montages of Colin Firth singing in the shower, going over his grocery list, singing My Baby Takes the Morning Train. You know, you name it, it's in there. Uh, King George dies. Dave takes over. Dave doesn't last long, which, sadly for me, this is where the movie kind of tapers off because Guy Pierce, as quick as he entered our hearts in this one, as quick as he is gone. He never changed clothes. But again, with a charismatic whirlwind like him, you know, He's smart enough to know his worth, and his worth is not overstaying his welcome. He's like Christopher Walken or Al Pacino in Jilly. Goes in, <laughs> wakes everybody up, leaves. Yeah. It's like, I did what I could, guys. It's right you when now. you're back into it, and you're like, hey, okay, this movie's getting some traction. And Guy Pierce leaves, you're like, fuck. And. <laughs> Later, Bonham Carter's like, guys, can I. Can I. Maybe. You know? <laughs> no. No. Back in catering. Uh. And because of this, Birdie takes over. Uh, he has severed his ties with Lionel. So he has to address the accession council on his own. And they don't even show the whole thing because it's so fucking painful. He just goes in there and starts to talk. And he can't get, you know, word A, B, or C out. And it's it's clear he needs Lionel. Which should have happened or, or, here. Or it's clear that whatever he did with Lionel didn't really work. Or is Lionel real? That that this is again my fight club theory watching this again. But anyway, he should have just run out in the streets and been like, Lionel and then fix you by Coldplay would start playing. And then uh, Helena Bonham Carter, who's also in Fight Club, by the way, uh tries to talk some sense into him and then Colin Firth goes, This conversation and then uh Jeffrey Rush goes, It's over. <laughs> Mind blown. And Tom Hooper was upset because they weren't mean enough to Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> Uh, Birdie is now King George VI, makes up with Lionel. Uh, this is a pretty quick transition here. Makes up with Lionel. Uh, he's helping him get ready for his speech. They are at uh, Westminster Abbey, where he's going to make an address. And the Archbishop of Canterbury um, is just your standard. Like he play, he would have played the actor who played him. I don't know his name. Um, but what he, he's a known actor though. He's like one of those old guys, old British guys that you just see him and I'm like, huh. yeah, you're not the guy who played, uh, the droid in the first alien movie, but, but uh, close uh, enough. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Derek Jacoby. Yeah. We were talking about him in the credits, but anyway, his aesthetic here in his wardrobe is he would be like the Butler from any made for Disney TV, Disney movie in the nineties. And he is wrinkled. <laughs> Both literally and figuratively by the notion that this Lionel guy is coming in. Because then Lionel fucking, like, uh, you know, he's dating the lead singer of the band. So he starts making all these demands for what he needs. Um, and then again, like we said, it's about five minutes later that uh, the archbishop comes back. He's like, I Googled you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so I looked up your business card and your business number. It was shut off. And... He just tells him, he's like, yeah. Dr. Lionel Logue has been dead for 50 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
King George, who are you talking to? <laughs> so Colin Firth gets mad for like 30 seconds, and then they're just friends again, though. He gets mad. Once again, he doesn't stammer when he gets mad. It, but like the what they say defeats the whole argument. It's like all he's ever done is helped uh, shell-shocked war veterans help improve their speech patterns. And it's like that's almost literally what, you know. But he's Colin not Firth. a doctor. Damn Listen, you. we only accept the finest help here. The king cannot date a twice divorcee, and the king cannot be treated by somebody who's not a real doctor. N- no matter what the results are. But they fight for a minute, and then through this conflict and through this feud and a fussing, Colin Firth, King George VI, Bertie, is able to start exclaiming and form full sentences and speak without any interruption or hesitation. The fluidity is there uh, to the point where he does make sure to deliver the tagline, which was on all the T-shirts and ball caps. I have a voice. Uh, Beautiful. Uh, But, you know, it's like you can hear Tom Hooper crying. The thing is, you had it all along. I just, I can't believe that the movie took, what, an hour, an hour, 45 minutes to get to this point because I could have treated him. Mm-hmm. I, I would have just been like, you know, first uh, first session, you know what? You don't want to be king. How about you just relax? <laughs> now, let's try getting angry about something. Did you notice you didn't stammer? All right, you're cured. Next. Yeah. Again, Jeffrey Rush just he realizes this is his he, new meal ticket he, and he's going to bleed this for all the Yeah, he word. milked it real good. Which we I did skip over um, before they went to Westminster oh, Abbey wife. when they make up the first time. Yeah, uh, Colin Firth and uh, Helena Bonham Carter go to Jeffrey Rush's flat, or it, it's not a luxurious living. So again, you understand why he's leeching onto the teat of the <laughs> royal family here. Um, and he hadn't told his wife that he was helping out the fucking king. He was stashing away those those uh, far things. Or Jennifer whatever. L. Yeah, and. At first, I was like, why the fuck wouldn't you just tell her? And then, like, now that we're talking about it, it's become apparent. He was trying to get out of that life. Yeah. He's like, fuck, now she knows. Now i got to give her shit. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, that was literally, that's the only scene where two women speak to each other, which is when uh, Jennifer L. comes home and she finds Helena. And it's one her. woman demeaning the other one. <laughs> yes. Uh, you shall call me your majesty. <laughs> you shall not look me in the eye. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, but at the same time, seeing that in contrast with the sausage fest we've been watching for an hour and a half, I really, I felt it was a, a missed opportunity. I wanted a movie, if not a movie that's entirely about these two women, at least a movie that treated them equally. Uh, the entire thing, Jeff Rush has the balls to keep telling uh, Colin Firth, we are equals here. Yeah. He he forgot to add, because we're men. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Bottom Carter is just waiting in the lobby the entire time. And the original cut, uh, Jennifer Allen and Helena Bonham Carter get into a fight and pull each other's hair and like a vat of water falls on him <laughs> while pour some sugar on me starts playing in the background. That's the MTV cut. Yeah. Tom Hooper was very insistent that, that scene stay in. Uh, I was just thinking of this. Why was Orlando Bloom not in this movie? I mean, that may be a discussion for a different day, but I could think of at least seven it's, roles he could have played. That's Colin Firth. No, 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 not the lead, but, like, why wasn't he one of the little stagehands at the, the final speech? Just Could have been the director that's uh, doing the audition. Too busy for, doing for... fucking Three Musketeers. 
uh, you know, when Jeffrey Rush early on, we see he's a frustrated actor and he said uh, at an audition and there's a pretentious director that goes, ah, we want somebody younger. Yes. That could have been Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Throw him a bone. Um, R.I.P. He's back, man. Do you remember? We might have mentioned it in the podcast that he, he was doing an off-Broadway production of uh, Killer Joe. Yeah. Yeah, which is exciting. I, I would like to see that. Can't kill the bloom. <laughs> so it, the the bloom is not off the rose. It's back on, in fact. Coming this fall. Anyway, wrapping this up. Birdie needs to make a uh, live speech across the airwaves as it is now time for Britain to declare war on Nazi Germany in 1939. Because uh, if you didn't know, uh, Germany was kind of picking up some steam. They had some momentum rolling their way. Yeah, well, they were, they were worrying about who uh, um, Guy Pierce was dating. Yes. Turns out that Nazism, Nazism, it, it was, was becoming a thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, he can't marry this woman. By the way, this Hitler guy, not that big of a deal. <laughs> May want to talk about it at the next meeting. Look at how funny he is when he talks. <laughs> Oh God! And Colin Firth's like, well, he's not stammering. <laughs> no, yeah, that's he, he says that he's like, what is he saying? I don't know, but he's not stammering. So anyway, Bernie needs to make this declaration of war across the airwaves. Uh, he gets with Lionel. They do the warm up. He's hitting the bags, you know, doing the shadow boxing, and they go in <laughs> and uh, waxing in, waxing out. Yes, all the other dignitaries are there uh, from the British Empire, Prime Minister. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, Winston Churchill is there, but... Yeah, Timothy Spall. Okay. Tim- oh, yeah, I mean, that needs to be addressed. Timothy Spall, I, I generally like him in movies, mm-hmm. but he's no Churchill. Especially now that we've had a movie that was all about Churchill. Oh, where, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know why I blanked on that. I know, I know exactly. He has the cigar. Yeah. <laughs> he's talking I had a bit like of a, a cartoon. Put him in my shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's the only guy there that's a cartoon. I almost expect them to be just animated. Yeah. And instead they put Timothy Spall there. And, <laughs> and the thing is, we just saw, uh, what's his name, win the Oscar for playing Churchill as a real person. What's his name? Gary Oldman? <laughs> Gary Oldman. God. Come on now. I got Timothy Spall in my head. I can't think of any other Churchills. James Gordon. Uh, so he goes through the speech. We get this. It just fucking goes on and on. He's in this broadcasting room. Dude, it's like really, Hooper, did you need to played the entire speech we get it he was nude while directing this because <laughs> you have jeffrey rush literally conducting him they're showing him like in slow-mo as you learn to conduct in elementary school making the half circles and shit there's a beauty to the art of filmmaking uh which allows you to cut stuff out <laughs> you know it's not real life you don't have to just watch everything that happens through the magic of editing you can actually show us the beginning fade into the middle and then fade again towards the end. And then when everybody claps, we get it. It went well. The cutting room floor is Tom Hooper's final cut. Like <laughs> that, That's been apparent for uh, nearly a decade now. He, he very proudly takes a picture of uh, the cutting room floor and all of his edits. It's just like <laughs> spotless. <pristinely. laughs> it's a picture of uh, uh, just him eating off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. So it concludes the speech. It goes really well. Uh, if I did want to compliment this scene, I would say the score builds to a really awesome crescendo here. Um, it almost makes you forget that World War II was starting. It almost makes you forget that the scene started 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and he concludes 
Logue says, you know, you're still having troubles with your W's, uh, to which Colin Firth retorts, well, I had to throw some in so they know it's me. But Rush clearly wanting to just make sure that he's not being dismissed yet. He, yeah. there's, there's still some treatment to to keep the him occupied for years. mentally abusive boyfriend that, you know, <laughs> even if you do perfect, you have to say something. You could use, you could lose some weight. Yeah, exactly. You going to wear that shirt? <laughs> you going to wear that suit when you make this speech? Um why the movie didn't end there, I don't know. There's like another four minutes where they just like follow Colin Firth to his office. They take a picture and then they go to, they step out onto the balcony to address like the masses. They, they just want to make sure that we knew that everything was going to be okay. I mean, except for all the people that died yeah. in the following years. I don't understand why they didn't. The title card also did not include any of the results of World War II. <laughs> no. <laughs> So if you were fairly new to that whole subject, I can just imagine someone in like fucking Paducah, Kentucky coming out of the movie theater like, what happened with the war? Did we win? That guy Hitler, is he still around? What happened with that? Um, and Tom Hooper would be like, listen, it's not called the King's Speech before World War II. It's just a King's Speech. And then we're told uh, we faded black at the title cards about what happened, uh, directed by Tom Hooper. Then we get a few credits for producers, and then a Tom Hooper film. Hey, he earned it. Which I know I've been informed that that's a common <laughs> thing. But when you're as douchey as Tom Hooper, it, it sticks out way more. He's probably a wonderful guy, just following the guidelines yeah. set by the Directors Guild of America or whoever decides how the credits go. Like, you know, we talk about the things that would cause, like, the apocalypse or cause the universe to rip in half. I'm thinking of, like, a Tom Hooper slash Nicholas Wendig Riffin film that they make <laughs> together. Because the first 45 minutes would just be, like, the signature screens and introductions of the directors. <laughs> I'm sure Hooper is the opposite. He just wanted to make it... Can it be a film by everyone? Because, guys, we pulled it together. A film by every man. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. And then it's over. And then Colin Firth won an Oscar and Tom Hooper, much to his enjoyment, creaming in his pants when he won his Best Director Oscar. Also has that sinister now and forever uh, uh, Weinstein Brothers title card Ooh. credits at the end. I watched one of my favorite movies ever last night and the spine on the DVD is the Weinstein Company logo and I was like, eee. But... Eventually, they'll reissue stuff to where the Weinstein logo is just tiny. Even that, or like they'll just put a sticker over the credit. And it's just, <laughs> hey, Colin Firth, that guy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm ready for some real talk. Let's move it along to real talk. What is it about David that stops you speaking? What is it about you that bloody well makes you want to go on about him the whole bloody time? Vulgar but fluent. You don't stammer when you swear. Hey, bugger off! Is that the best you can do? Well, bloody bugger to you, you beastly bastard. Oh, a public school prig could do better than that. Shit. Shit, 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 yes, shit! Defecation flows trippingly from the tongue. Because I'm angry! Do you know the F word? Fornication? Alberti. Fuck. Fuck! 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 Fucking fuck! Fuck! 
Fucking bugger. Bugger, bugger, buggity, 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 fuck, fuck, ass. Yes. Balls, balls, fucking you see, tit, not a shit, fucking willy. Willy, shit and fuck and tits. Dad, what's going on? Sorry. Just finish your homework. Well, that's a side of you we don't get to see all that often. No. No, we're not supposed to, really. Not publicly. All right, and we are recording for Real Talk. All right. The King's Speech. Let me get adjusted here to talk about this one. Uh, released on, or premiered at the Telluride Film Festival on September 6, 2010. It had a budget of $15 million with a ridiculous box office return of over $400 million. Of course, as we mentioned, directed by Tom Hooper, uh, written by David Seidler, and starring all the people we mentioned earlier. There is a woman in there. Two, and, re- really. And, yeah. You have Jennifer Ellie. And, I mean, really, Helena Bonham Carter was just there for a name to be put on it. Now, to be fair, that was jesting in the first portion. I understand one time period. It's not like it was a female-dominated scene back then, and two... The movie's about Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush. So, uh, but on top of that, or to to go back, I, I like Helena Bonham Carter's literally just there for like name value to be slapped on it. She has like a couple scenes, maybe. She's where, not bad. Oh no, she's yeah. great. She's great, and she gets her couple of Oscar moments. Does she get nominated? Let's see. Because she has that that scene when she tells him. Um, she did. Good yeah. God. Well, she has, and I'm sure her clip was that moment when she's telling him that she refused his, his first three proposals because she didn't want to be part of royalty. That is a really good scene, too. Yeah, she's great yeah. in it. So, he's like breaking down crying, not thinking he's worthy of being king. Yeah. We could have used more Helena Bonham Carter. Yes, I, I agree. And she did not win. Um, that's because Melissa Leo went the Shakespeare in Love route and politics <laughs> the fuck out of that year. She's blastered every every graffiti dude wall yeah. in Hollywood with posters personally autographed personalized autographs to every screener that was sent out uh, along with a bottle of Cavassier um, that's that uh, the American can do attitude <laughs> so I mean it's fitting and appropriately timed with um, I haven't seen Green Book so I'm not going to comment on it but I do know I don't think I saw anything nominated for Best Picture. I'm way out of the loop that way. But my point is, I think the movie that won was this year. There was other movies that people thought could have been in place of that. Now, based on what you've explained about Green Book and what I've read and my understanding of how movies like that typically work, I think I'm inclined to agree with you that it was a safe pick. Right. Uh, I wouldn't call the King's Speech a safe pick. I think it... Wow. I think it just plays on everything that the Academy gets their rocks off to. Okay, but it is a safe pick then. Yeah, I guess. I mean, well, let's let's. I guess the, the point what's is, what's the I competition? Don't, I yeah, think that's the, we'll, the thing. We'll what, go through what? it. Um, so, 127 hours, Black Swan, the the fighter, King's Speech is better than the fighter. <laughs> uh, Inception. Was this the year me and Reed were talking about this? Was this the year they put Nolan next to the kitchen? Like he was like <laughs> his seat was in the back to the point like the kitchen door would bang his chair every time it opened. Uh, 
that I think it was one of the years that he was just clearly not going to win for anything. The kids are all right. The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. Now, Julio and I will both agree. I'm pretty sure. I don't mean to speak for you, but uh, Social Network is the best film out of that lineup. I, I think most people in our circle would would say that that's not up for discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you, I, I think The King's Speech is probably a more worthy winner than True Grit and Winter's Bone, at least. I like True Grit. I've only seen Winter's Bone once, and I was not. I was kind of bored by it, mm-hmm. but I, I'm actually looking forward to revisiting it. Um, and yeah, I definitely like it better than The Fighter. But do you want to talk about safe picks? I mean, maybe True Grit is the only movie in that lineup that's safer, <laughs> or at least as safe. Every, everything else is a little more maverick, uh, whether it works or not. I mean, I don't think The Fighter really works. No, uh, but. But it's definitely taking more chances. Yeah, I guess my point is, in, in comparison to Green Book and my knowledge of it, I think King's Speech is not one of the... It's not Crash. It's not Green Book. It's not the artist in terms of, like, of course, to me at least. Yeah, I mean, well, it's hard to, like, really make an argument uh, because you haven't seen the movie, so I really don't want to... And I don't want to spoil it for you because... So then I'll use Crash and the artist. It, it doesn't perturb me as much as, like, those... Uh, yes. Well, I think that every time that the Academy disappoints uh, us, and by us, I mean, like, the people that watch a lot of movies. The contrarians. Yeah, not even the contrarians, but um, because, in a way, it's the same thing as in, in when we're talking about Shakespeare and love, right? There's always, generally, there's a sense that the Academy doesn't pick the right movie. It It picks, I wouldn't even say... I mean, yes, the safe movie is a good definition, but also maybe the most crowd-pleasing movie out of the their five. It doesn't have to be the popular vote, but it it is the the movie that everybody kind of be okay with saying, "Yeah, I love that one," mm-hmm. right? Um, so in that sense, they they have that thing in common, even though the reason why it may infuriate you if you're somebody that watches a lot of movies. Uh, those the reasons why they make you angry are different. So the artist probably makes you angry because you're like, well, it's just a gimmick, mm-hmm. right? And there's not much to that. Uh, whereas like Crash makes you angry because you know it's pretentious or whatever. I actually I remember I've only seen it once, but I remember liking Crash well enough to where I I did not share the outrage. But I don't even remember what was nominated that year. Brokeback well, Mountain yeah, was that, it? That was one that was, uh, that was their thing. I did not go Gaga for Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain, so I was not. I, I didn't care. In uh, this year with Green Book, again, I don't want to say too much because we've we've talked about maybe doing an episode on that. But mm-hmm. it's it's just like yes, it's not as good as the other stuff that was out there. But I completely understand why most people watch it and they're perfectly fine with that being named the movie, the best movie of the year. Maybe it's the most accessible. You know, I I think that Black Panther, Black Panther, uh, Black Landsman is a better movie, but I also understand why that's not as accessible to most people, and it doesn't mean that those people are racist. It just means that they're, it's just a harder movie to watch, dude. Yeah. Well, and you still have to. It's the Academy is still predominantly old white dudes, right? I was trying to. I was talking. We're kind of going off topic, but not really because we're talking about about best picture winner. I was about to take us more off topic. So. <laughs> well, no, no, but because somebody was, I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was actually the the boozy movies girls that were just talking about the Oscars and they were just flabbergasted by some of the picks and they were like, can somebody explain why uh, 
this what goes through your head when you when you vote for this and i understand that from where we sit and i i'm trying to not sound pretentious but when i say we i'm talking about somebody who watches just a lot of movies right mm-hmm. so we're exposed to a lot a lot more challenging storytelling therefore it's easy for us to say well this was safe this was not worthy right so to us it's just how could you pick this over this mm-hmm. how you pick, pick this that's so safe over something that's more challenging more exciting uh but yeah, you look at the at what makes up the bulk of the academy, and these are people that, in a way, they're traditionalists. To they're, them, like Casablanca is still the way a movie should be, right? And, and good for them. I mean, it is a great movie, but there's new stuff out there. And mm-hmm. uh, have you ever read those? Uh, they've been going for a few years now. The brutally honest ballots. I don't remember which website puts them out, but they basically anonymously they they'll grab people from different guilds, different members of the academy, and they'll have them walk you through their ballot. And they'll be just because they're anonymous, they can just be brutally honest about why they're picking what they're picking. And what you find out is sometimes they pick a certain movie because they haven't watched the others. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they pick a, a certain candidate because they're friends with them yeah. or because, you know, their, their buddy made it. Uh, sometimes they just they take you through their thought process and it's kind of backwards and kind of, you know, two generations ago. But that's because these are really old people. There was somebody who was saying... Uh, you know, I'm not gonna vote for this short film because it's about periods, and you know nobody wants to reward a movie that's about menstruation. And of course, that short one. Yeah. <laughs> so the world changes slowly, but slowly. So, in a way, I don't know. I, I I think that when this happens, it kind of makes me laugh when people are just surprised that the movie that's the most out there, that's most the most challenging doesn't win because that's usually the case that's a large part of my maturation process is like a um someone who's a fan of this stuff you know uh the i watched last night the movie i was referencing was the master and like i was kind of watching that and (laughs) thinking about this and because i always jokingly bring up you know the non-oscar nominated Uh, of course that movie was never going to be nominated for best picture like how fucking weird and out there certain parts of it are and the whole tone of it and everything i mean they did pay due diligence to Joaquin, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Amy Adams, they all got nominated for it. <laughs> but that's as far as we're going to go. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, like, <laughs> PT, stay back. We're not <laughs> We're not going any further than this. And then when you look at the lineup against this, I mean, Black Swan, like, that's an amazing movie. But when you look at the guys, fuck. yeah, the guys of, like, these people that watch these that, again, like, they're old-timey film people. Uh, Inception, I'm sure, like, that's the type of thing I'm sure, like, a lot of the people at Ballots that you d- didn't even bother with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to watch this three-hour action movie. And The Social Network is, um, this is burned into my brain because he said it so many times. But I remember the Brandon Curtis, the quote he always said was cold and clinical and, like, sad and a... Uh, <laughs> Like a very dry and brutal take, which is true. That is a definitive example of like a movie for a new generation. Right. And and the thing is, when those movies work for you, you just can't see things the same way. Mm-hmm. And so when those movies work for you, you you get bitter towards movies like The King's Speech, which is a fine movie. It's it's it, it you is. know, it, it, but it's it's not the social network. No. It just like uh Shakespeare in Love is not saving Private Ryan. Correct. It's just one of those things where, like, well, it just and well, I know Shakespeare in Love has a lot to do with politics. It's not even what the Academy was comfortable with, but also just but the machine. Th- they're similar in the King's Speech, right? And this Shakespeare is Weinstein. Like, well, well, yeah, they got that stain on it, but like, they're not bad movies. They're just not as good. Uh, 
to me and people I associate with is the movies that they went up against. Much like I'm sure when I do watch Green Book, I was going to say Greenberg. Remember that one? <laughs> uh, when I do watch Green Book and everything else from this year, you know, it just pains me every year when the Oscars come around that I remember that Drive, only nomination it got, it lost to Transformers. That's like the one thing I'm fixated on. But I was reminded this year when they talk about original song that uh, Man or Muppet won for best original song of the year. It was up. So every now like, and then you get yeah, you I, get some good surprises. Spider Verse won this year, and I know you haven't seen it, but it's the fact that Spider Verse won uh, against uh, a Pixar movie that is just a fine movie. Mm-hmm. The Incredibles two, I was not crazy about, um, and then uh, a sequel to a popular movie like uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Uh, you know, it's something. It, yeah. it, every now and then, there, there's just little pockets where, where the innovation just pulls through. And, uh, I mean, these things do pay off every once in a while. Like, the Oscars, again, it is just this certain body saying, we acknowledge this. But, like, uh, this year, and again, I haven't seen Black Klansman, but Spike Lee getting to have his moment. That was really yeah, cool. That was that was great. Uh, and, like, Samuel Jackson marking out for it, Like, <laughs> oh, my man. I thought that was great. Yeah. Uh, the King's Speech, I think, if anything... And definitely in, in our little contrarian's world, in the contrarian's universe of uh, inside jokes and running jokes, one of the reasons it's infamous among us is just because there's that clip of Tom Hooper when he wins the Oscar. <laughs> I was trying to think of how we could get that clip into the podcast and, like, and convey. Uh, we may just have to use the screen cap of his face as the, the thumbnail for it. Yes. If you don't know what we're talking about... Uh, it, the clip's on YouTube. Uh, and you know what? I'll preface this by saying, if I ever won an Oscar, who knows how the fuck I would react. I would I would do I, – I could very well do much worse. Yes. It's just it, – I don't know. I think because you see that those people handle those things so differently. Going back right. to the master, when they showed Joaquin's clip and it just cut to him looking down at the ground, shaking his head. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to be here. Uh, Tom Hooper, yeah, the clip we're talking about when he was called for best director, he has this look on his face like he's never wanted anything more in his entire life. And like, and again, like you said, it, that could be me in that situation too. But he just comes off as a dick. Like, he just yeah, comes maybe off as not a... because now that I've seen Tom Hooper, yeah. I'll be that would be the only thing in my mind. Just like, don't look like a dick. <laughs> be gracious. Uh, because you know, with, now that I'm thinking about it, it's just yes, you won, but that means that four people lost. Yeah, and just just out of respect for them, don't do the fist pump. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Oh God. Uh, so Hooper, best director, King Speech, best picture, Colin Firth, best actor. Uh, best screenplay, best original screenplay, excuse me. Um, and it looks like that is it. But so Jeffrey Rush was nominated, but didn't win. Correct. Uh, Christian Bale won for the fighter, which again, the fighter is a wildly mediocre movie, but Christian Bale is very good in it. He put in the work. Uh, oh God. Yeah. Colin Firth is great here. He is. Everything about this movie is like, if it hadn't been this Oscar darling, no one would fucking talk about this movie today. That's the thing. It's just there. It happens. It's Well, I mean, they would talk about it in the way that they talk about other not nominated movies that happen to be good. I think that you you would talk about Colin Firth, uh, that Colin Firth vehicle. Like like you talk about, uh, I don't know, I was going to say a single man, but I think he got nominated for that, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know. He's good in other movies in, you know, they're just other good movies in his filmography. Yeah, and he's good here. I read something um, about uh, this wasn't something I read in my research for this, but I remember listening to something that he really fucked up his speech when he learned to like get a stammer and he like couldn't shake it for a little while. So he had to like oh. actually like 
go to speech therapy for it. He turned to uh, Jeffrey Rush, and <laughs> Rush was like, huh? And Rush said, I'm, I'm done. My contract's <laughs> up. Uh, that could be complete bullshit, but I remember reading that. The one, the only really thing of trivia I found that was fascinating was, again, the Weinsteins interjecting their political ways. Oh, shit. We didn't even read the quotes. Did we? we got so caught up oh, on we the- did. So while you're pulling those up, the MPAA gave the film an R rating due entirely to the scenes where Bertie curses as part of his speech therapy or preparation for the climactic address. Bob Weinstein and Harvey Weinstein appealed but were denied. They later submitted a cut without some of the profanity and got a PG-13 rating. However, the R-rated version is considered to be the Oscar-winning one, extending a string of R-rated best pictures from 2005 to 2010. Um, uh, I remember that. Do you remember that? Yes. When it was re-released? Yeah, and that was – this was around – was it the next year that Lincoln came out? I remember there was a little stretch there where I was getting really fucking just – nerd angry with the mpaa like that it's all bullshit yeah i mean when you if you're watching the movie and these people watch the movie before they submit the rating it's not real cursing no well, he doesn't even use hardcore cursing in those scenes he, he says a few fucks the, i'm more it. talking about bullshit of like the political aspect of it uh like lincoln i remember got a pg-13 rating and they say fuck and there's like disembowelment of people in that and shit uh but they can all the mpaa i remember their thing was well there's historical context to it and shit like that it just makes me upset sometimes when i see r-rated movies that shouldn't be rated r because my immediate thought is this movie could have made more money if it wasn't rated r yeah the but, but i think the the argument with the king's speech was at least from what i remember that tom Hooper uh, just came in and hey well no there were uh, there were schools that were trying to they couldn't take their students to field trips to watch it because it was radar mm. and so there was that pressure or at least that argument to be made and i'm sure that there was a similar concern with lincoln and any other historical movie that's considered worthy you know uh, which makes sense to me but i mean i have issues with the mpa rating the way that they rate stuff yeah. forever i mean I don't know. I I don't want to make broad generalizations, but maybe there's not enough people that have that sort of liberal leaning Mm -hmm. when it comes to to rating stuff that really care to volunteer for the MPAA or to work for the MPAA. So who volunteers for the MPAA, who works for MPAA is going to determine how the rating comes out. And if it's a lot of people that are just offended by a character saying fuck regardless of the context then you're gonna get an r rating yeah even though it doesn't make any sense yeah that seems to be uh, at least during the time when i was just consistently going to movies that across the board it's all the same fuck means the same thing no matter the context or anything like that so what i'm saying is please more intelligent people run for office yes <laughs> please <laughs> yeah so being that it's 94 percent we usually don't wait this far into real talk to go into the quotes, but that means there's some people that posted some green splotches and didn't like it. Yes, uh, I just have a few here. Um, Sir Manville from The Critic's Notebook says, When you're telling a story about people as well documented as the English royals, it's difficult to achieve a fresh outlook. And unfortunately, Mr. Hooper and screenwriter David Sedler don't quite succeed. Tell that to the Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah, Tom Hooper sleeping nude with his Oscar, huh? <laughs> Uh, Char- Charles Modidi from The Stranger, Seattle, Washington, says the film is not even interesting as a work of art. Damn, blunt. <laughs> yeah, that is brutal. <laughs> uh, 
Finally, Ty Burr from the Boston Globe says, Complacent middle bro Tosh, engineer for Maximum Awards Bling, and catering to nostalgia for the royalty we've never actually had to live with. Okay. Uh, all right. I, how how do the British feel about the King's Speech? <laughs> Man, Jeffrey Rush was fantastic in this. Yeah, I think they were both great. Uh, they, they Their scenes, when they're together, when they're either doing therapy or just just broing up and sharing mm -hmm. best part of the movie. And I hate to be a broken record because I know that's kind of the thing I'm saddled with. My thing about movies that are longer than 90 minutes, but this could have been sharpened up. It tightened up. It does go on. There, there's this fake ending, right? Because, and I, and I really, I should have known it was coming. Like I said, I've only seen it once before. It's called the King's speech. And so they have to get to that speech, the World War II speech. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that it was over when he becomes king, right? And they're at the inauguration cathedral or whatever. Yeah. And he gets through the four questions that they were going to ask him. I have him. a voice. <laughs> yeah. After that, you're like, all right, it's done. But then they, they brought up Hitler. And then I'm like, oh, no, we're in for another 15, <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> Here we go again. Um, again. Yeah. That, that might be one of those. Maybe it's more of a structure issue mm -hmm. that you you faked me out with that ending and maybe you shouldn't have. But it's also, well, it's dealing with real events and they have to stick to the way history happened, at least somewhat. I don't know. Yeah. We, uh, we could ask Tom Hooper next time he's around and be like, why? Why would you do that to us? When we have him back on the podcast, we can ask him. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, we kind of burned through our real feelings about it because it's, it's not... To me, there's really not too much of a discourse to this. Well, I, but it's, it's so a what's very the, simple movie. What's the legacy of the King's Speech? It, it's the movie that beat the, the social, social network, network, right? Much yeah. like Shakespeare in Love is the movie that beat uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, difference being I don't find the King's Speech of victory is to be anywhere near as like mean-spirited or tainted. Um, I think it's it's just like The Artist. Bunch of old white dudes watched that and enjoyed that more than the movie about the kid who made the thing on the internet. So, um, well, this is this gives you somebody to root for. That's somebody very likable. It, it's very see. It, this is one of the reasons why I'm having trouble being harsh on it. It's just because I know a lot of people like it. My, I own the Blu-ray because my wife likes it. Mm -hmm. She brought it into our collection, and I like the movie, but. You can't avoid the fact that well, it's not that challenging. Mm -hmm. you know, I keep just saying that, and and yeah, you have very easy, you know, protagonists to follow and to root for, and a very clear goal. Oh well, he needs to give this speech, and then when the speech is done, you're like, "Hooray! I feel good, and the movie's good, and that was that was a, a good that time." Its title's not misleading. <laughs> yeah, and then something like the Social Network, you're like, "But this guy's an asshole, and that guy's also kind of dumb, and this is based on real life, and what? Why is he refreshing the end? The the the, the page at the end was it all mean?" Oh uh, God, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, quick sidebar. Uh, this was the. I can't believe it took me this long to remember this. The 2011 Oscars was unprecedented for many reasons, uh, the least of which is not that it made the 2010 remake of The Wolfman an Academy Award-winning film <laughs> as they won for Best Makeup. Uh, for those of you who have not seen the Benicio del Toro vehicle, The Wolfman, heavy recommendation. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is in it, right? Oh, he's the bad guy. He, he plays the old wolf. He he does. <laughs> Who's the woman, the love interest? Oh, it's Emily, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Fuck yeah. me dead. And uh, Agent Smith is the 
the hunter. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. Uh, he had an Inception won four Oscars. None of them would have been the televised ones. <laughs> um, yes, to your point. Yeah, it's it's easier to digest, and I mean, it can't be understated how far Colin Firth's likability carries this. If you had some cockbag in that role, and also like his chemistry with Jeffrey Rush is fantastic, so there are really good elements to this. It's not a movie that I could like see myself ragging on the actual movie itself, and it's at- it's a good time. Oh, you were kind of bored while we were watching it, but I I, I thought it was fine. Even the. the when you're not following the main plot line, which is his his stammering, the royalty politics of, of what was going on, I found kind of fascinating, and partly because of what I said in Contrarian's Corner, which is the culture is so different from mm-hmm. American culture. You know, the fact that there are, that these things determine who's in power and to what degree is that power worth it, or, or the fact that the king being a symbol is is just as important as whoever actually is wielding power and making decisions. It just the entire thing was cool and, and just the subplot with with Guy Pierce basically not being fit to rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole thing I, I just I liked that whole aspect of it that he's the Colin Firth is really kind of rejecting being king for a long time and then he has to learn to embrace it there's more to it than just Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth being awesome as actors I think that there's there's some meat to the story yeah um, and I was bored in the sense of this is a long meandering film and it was Wednesday evening it's one of those things like if I watch this on like a Saturday afternoon it'd be a lot different temperament so I was just bored in the sense of like this isn't a Wednesday night movie with that being said I legit did straighten up my posture and get perked up when I saw Guy Pierce come on screen <laughs> I was like here we go strap yourselves in um so you know this is for what it is the B plus my only real critique of it would be that it it does drag at certain parts and yeah, the ending feels too stretched out. You um, could probably shave like ten minutes off of it. I could use more Helena Bonham Carter for sure. Or yeah, let me rephrase that. Or use more of that for her character. Like some of those scenes that just kind of drag on. Make some time for Helena Bonham Carter to do something. I uh, mean, if we need to see him doing therapy, maybe not all of it can be with uh, Jeffrey Rush. Maybe he, at some point he mentioned that he's been practicing at home. So mm-hmm. let's just see him. Practicing with with Helena Bonham Carter and just get her more. She 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 makes things lively when she she's does. in the movie. So what's Tom Hooper's next project? You were teasing me with it a little bit. Oh, he's doing Cats. Oh, so like, he's he's tackling another Broadway musical. Oh boy. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Taylor Swift, Idris Elba, Rebel Wilson. Oh, God. Ian McKellen. This is gonna be great, one way or the other. My God, Jennifer Hudson. Yeah, I don't know about all this. Oh, it's a Christmas movie, too. Love it. He's bringing back to Les Mis. That was a Christmas movie, right? I think so, yeah. That's not a good movie. It has it has some amazing sequences, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I would agree. It's not a good movie, but I don't know if it's if my problem is with the with the play itself. Or if it's just a, a bad adaptation, but I just feel that there's some some story problems, some structure problems that might be just well, there was no way out of it because he was adapting a a well known musical. My problem was with Eddie Redmayne, <laughs> as with all things involving. He is okay in the movie. Uh, 
Anne Hathaway was great. Anne Hathaway was fantastic. And uh, Samantha Bark, I thought, was amazing. I, I was really hoping she would get more recognition. Fucking Eddie Redmayne. Goddamn Oscar winner. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that was the King speech. I really just want to go watch The Social Network now. <laughs> so we concluding here, episode 79. Episode 80 will be a break from our award season arc that we've been going through. Uh, be visiting one of the movies that was uh, a catalyst in this uh, podcast being created. Uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the Ben Stiller remake from 2012, I want to say, 2011 maybe. Sounds right. was one of those that when we originally were conceptualizing this podcast, it was like, yeah, you know, like Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's like 50% of that movie is fucking awesome. So uh, I love, 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 love that movie. So being negative about it will be quite difficult. Um, I'm sure I can find a way, though. So that'll be for one of our every 10 episodes. We do our gray area episodes. Uh, where we find one that's somewhere in the middle. Julio makes a case for it being good. I make the case for it being bad, vice versa, what have you. Uh, but then for episode 81, we will resume our award season arc, which will take us to... Our last Razzie movie. Okay. Hudson Hawk. Yes. I remember I requested this be put in here when we were making this list. Some so. people threw Hudson Hawk at us, and I don't remember when it was, but somebody brought it up on on, on Twitter. Uh, and at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, I haven't seen it. I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, and now the time has come. The the hour is at hand. So that's what's on the horizon. That was the King's Speech, closing as we do usually with uh, plugs. We do want to give a thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. Uh, opening is Last Stand, closing is Summer 99 from their album Don't Let Me Use You. Um, we have our awesome logo. Yes, from our friend Hans Rothwieser. He does logos, he does comics, he has a podcast called Nación Combi. It's in Spanish. Uh, so if you speak Spanish or you want to practice your Spanish, listen to his podcast. Um, if you want comics or a logo or just want to say hi, you can uh, reach out to him on Twitter. He's at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. And you can also email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. I don't really have much to plug this week. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I watched The Master last night. It had been a few years since I watched that, and that movie is just so fucking good. Like, to a ridiculous extent, I find something new to love about it each time, and also just looks great. Um, even just watching it on my TV, like the Blu-ray, I was like, fuck, this looks incredible. But, I mean, everything Joaquin does is great. <laughs> so, But outside of that, no, I've been really busy, so I don't really have too much to plug. Uh, I will be very grateful when this weekend comes. My shoot job's been fucking killing me. So, I, I have a kind of an unusual plug, but before that, um, as as we'll be doing every episode, I guess until it happens, we're we're gonna be part of the live stream for the Cure Three, yeah, uh, 2019 edition. Um, the Epic Film guys spearheading this thing for the third time, uh, basically raising money for cancer research. They're going to live stream from Friday morning until Sunday afternoon. So the dates for that are from Friday, May 17th to Sunday, May 19th. And we will be on, like our actual segment will be on Saturday the 18th from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be doing a movie that will be disclosed 
closer to the event, but it's a good one. <laughs> we'll be doing kind of a, a quick version, uh, kind of like the cam episode. We'll be doing it all in an hour. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's going to be a really cool thing. And actually, literally, as we're recording this, I just got an email from Nick from the Epic Film Guys with the promo. So I guess I'll insert the promo right here. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin, and we can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters. Last year, we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And they're also rated over 92% on CharityNavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference. All right, so live stream for the cure, third edition. Be ready for that. Start, you know, I figure if you put away like five dollars a week, by the time the event rolls over, you have like a nice little chunk of money that you can you can donate for uh for cancer research. And if you can do it during our segment, even better because it makes us look cool. Hell yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's that's that. And then I also wanted to uh just kind of give you a preemptive plug for a future guest appearance. I recorded a an episode, another, my second guest appearance on Beyond the Box Set. We talked about the movie Clue, the Tim Curry uh, vehicle. <laughs> I don't know if it's a vehicle, but uh, yeah, they're doing a, a little arc on uh, movies inspired by games, and Clue was their big finale. So I was very lucky that they invited me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, should be out either this week or next week, but I'll, I'll put in the, the link if it's uh, if it's there. If not, I'll be bringing it up next episode. Uh, and finally, Alex, you... I don't know if you're aware of this. I put it on my Facebook, but uh, I'm actually begrudgingly going to uh, give Rotten Tomatoes a plug and a pat on the back. Yeah, I saw you tweeting something about it. I didn't really know the context, though. Um, basically, what they've done, and I really I could say what took you so long, is they've uh, they prevented people from posting comments and reviews on movies that haven't come out yet. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is, you would think it's common sense, but uh, and they pissed off a lot of fucking idiotic internet trolls that were basically what happened was there were a lot of uh, user comments and reviews that were dragging down the tomato meter score for Captain Marvel, which hasn't come out yet. (laughs) It's been screened for just some critics. And yet there was a bunch of, you know, trolls that were giving it low scores because God forbid we have a superhero, a female superhero and a big screen. I don't know. I'm assuming there was something similar when Wonder Woman came out, or maybe when Wonder Woman came out, they were not taking it seriously, and then Wonder Woman happened, and now they were like, ah, we don't want this again. Th- this is Trump getting the second term. <laughs> now yeah. they're taking it seriously. Yeah. It's how insecure do you have to be? No shit. To, yeah. And it's uh, good on Rotten Tomatoes for putting some sort of stop to it. I'm sure it, it's not going to change anybody's mind. You know, if you're an yeah. asshole, before they put in this band, you're just gonna keep being an asshole after. But at least we don't have to deal with you right away. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny because earlier today uh, I saw somebody retweeted. Oh, the guy is uh, 
from Netflix and Chill or Netflix and Swill uh, retweeted this uh, this tweet from some guy. Let me read it to you. So this guy, in response to to this to Run Tomatoes doing that, uh, he tweeted, "I have officially canceled my ticket order for hashtag Captain Marvel in response to the change in hashtag Run Tomatoes website." I was going to take one for the team because it's the hashtag MCU, but hashtag Disney, you can kiss my white male ass. And then yep. he, and then he included screenshots of his, of his refunded ticket or whatever, because, you know, Showed I, them. I, I don't know what, yeah, exactly. And then what follows is just like a stream of responses that just burn him over and over, <laughs> basically driving home the point of who gives a shit. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, a bunch of gifs of Brie Larson laughing, uh, and it just overall fun stuff. And then there is this response that is just fucking brutal. This guy says, when my dad was your age, he fought in a war. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all this stemming from Rotten Tomatoes uh, deciding to stop early reviews from people who haven't seen movies, uh, which now, is great. if that Captain Marvel movie does not end... With Anna Paquin showing up and murdering Brie Larson, then I will understand people being mad. Well, they got to save something for the sequel. That's the only logical way it can end. Yeah, I'm sorry. That can that can be the second one. Uh, but yeah, so good on you, Rotten Tomatoes. I let it not be said that for all the raging against the Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> machine, we do uh, we do not acknowledge when they do something right. We also got to give props when they're due. So. Yeah, yeah, that is good because that shit's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it, like you said, it seems like it would be common sense, but. All right, so that concludes the King's Speech. That concludes episode 79. My God, we're episode 80 on deck. Seems like it was just 79 episodes ago that we started doing this. So, um, In the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, we are the contrarians at gmail.com is always open. But like I said, uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. But that is going to do it for myself, Alex, and my co-host Julio for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Oh, and before I forget what I was going to say that we got off topic about, man, how good did Julia Roberts look? Like, her and Paul Rudd just do not age. Um, at this year's Oscars? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were talking about the, the King's Speech Oscars. I was like, I don't remember, man. <laughs> okay. I don't remember you know, many things. You remember? <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know why she presented Best Picture, but I was like, man, she looks great. Uh, well, you might have noticed they didn't have a host, <laughs> a host at the Oscars. So. They didn't. Um, then everyone fucking going ape shit for Gaga and Bradley Cooper, just like eye fucking like crazy. Love it. Yeah. His girlfriend was just like trembling there. <laughs> I'm sure she was fine with it. <laughs> Play it up. Uh, well, Gaga won an Oscar, so someone the, like my favorite tweet was like Gaga on her way to an EGOT Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, T fucking Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was definitely one of the most intense moments uh, in the ceremony. I loved the hell out of it. Their performance is great. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah, you haven't even seen the movie. No. Uh, it's it's worth watching for. 
that moment when they sing that song in the movie. After mm-hmm. that, you can probably turn it off and you'll be fine. But gotcha. Uh, no, I only in this house we only acknowledge the Chris Christopherson, <sighs> Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Anyway, Julia Roberts looked great. That's my plug. Good night. <laughs>